Well, let's move on to this now, and we're going to be looking at punishment and discipline in corporal punishment, and you know the discipline that we see in schools, and um, it's really building on multiple conversations we've had previously. Um, The first time we had this conversation was really about the the amount of um, leniency that is shown towards teachers who are found guilty, not who are accused, but who are found guilty uh, of um, having beaten children and injuring them. And the fact that, you know, you have very lenient sanctions on these teachers. And we heard, the, the, you know, the work that is being done uh, by civil society organizations in trying to change that. We also heard the frustrations of families, um, who families of these minors and, uh, you know, detailing what it is that their children are going through. Today we're going to take a different perspective. We're going to hear from the teachers and find out what are the pressures that they actually face in the classroom surrounding discipline and how do they navigate that terrain. Let me welcome Ofenze Molefe, who is a teacher. Ofenze, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for having me. And, and Ufenza, you don't have to tell me the the name of your school, but perhaps give me an idea of where you are in the country, uh, the province. I am situated in Gauteng. All right, so you're in Gauteng. Great. Lucky Kalanga is also a teacher. Good morning, Lucky. Good morning, Kathy. Often for the listeners and the producers of the show, it's an honor, pleasure and privilege to be with you this morning. And, and Ufenza, in which province are you? I think you meant to say in Stenkala. Oh, so sorry, Lucky. Sorry, Lucky. Yes. <laughs> Which province are you in? Uh, I'm in Wazulu uh, Natal. Okay. Ilembek District, September Technical High School in Duet. All right. Thanks for that, Lucky. And then I'm also going to invite onto the show Tandegile Mlalandle, who is in the Eastern Cape. Tandegile, good morning to you. To the other guests and the listeners. First of all, let me thank you all for making time to be part of the conversation. I know that we're able to have it because it's school holidays now, so uh, we won't be interrupting or interfering with any of your class schedules. It's such an important conversation for us to look into. Um, A survey that was done a couple of months back showing that uh, schools are dealing with more and more learners who are ill-disciplined, who are out of control, who are unmanageable, that is a part of the perspective that is being shared uh, on, on the state of schools. Speak to me about your own experiences. What have you found um, in, in the classroom within the schooling environment? Offense, let me kick it off with you. Thank you, Cassie. I think with me, because I work in a high school, I think the issues are quite broad. Mm-hmm. Um, that circle from back chatting and also as severe as um, smoking substances within the school, right? And so for someone who is in a primary school, they'd experience different um, ill behaviors. And with me, teenage behavior is quite different. We teach a generation, which is Generation Z, who is not submissive at all. And you're a young educator who's female within the classroom and therefore, I think the, 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 
demographics as well kind of play a part as well to say you come from an orderly home they don't they come from a poverty-stricken home or they are of um, a child who who is who's headed or whose home is headed by a single parent and so it comes forth as disrespect from them but it's actually an attention kind of thing to say give me attention because i do not have it in school so it's back chatting it's coming late to class and because you're young you're not necessarily taken as seriously unless you do set the tone at the beginning of the year and set the expectation continuously mm-hmm. termly. So mm-hmm. those are one of the issues that I face as a young educator in Gauteng. And, and and the fact that you're not too far off from where they are in, in as far as age is concerned, um, d- does that become a problem where they don't necessarily see you as, a, a, as an elder or as a senior or somebody of authority? I think it does affect me to some extent. The only issue here is relatability. They want to be related to. They want someone they can relate to as well. They want understanding. And so they get that from me, yes, a lot, quite a lot. But I think there's also a fine line between me being re- relatable, but also then how do we curb the, um, the, re- the, the gap between that and respect? You know, it's, it's something that I'm unable or am struggling with to say, I can be relatable, but then how do you respect me in me being relatable or somebody that you you can have fun with, but at the same time respect as an elder? So it is something that I'm facing, but as time goes on, you get to understand who Generation Z is and how you can then use strategies in understanding who Generation Z is in your classroom, which makes it quite easy as well. Would you say that you've, you've found a difference in discipline uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, because you know they've they've been a number of surveys that are raising concerns about a discipline, especially in schools post COVID. Yeah, definitely, there is quite a, a difference because um, way before the pandemic, it was easier to um, curb certain learning barriers, etc., because the contact was there. After the pandemic, I think there was a great gap. The two-year gap really um, put us at, an, at a disadvantage as, as teachers as not being able to firstly understand who we're teaching because of online learning. Mm-hmm. Secondly, because there was no contact in education. So there was that screen between us and the learner for a good six months where you don't necessarily set the tone within your classroom. By the time we get to the classroom, it is very difficult for us then to start from what your expectation is and what the child's expectation is within the class. So I think then it plays a part and it ripples over, Kathy, because these kids then go to the next grade. And because the turn wasn't set, for example, in grade eight, moving to grade nine is an issue because then we haven't necessarily started from the ground up into laying the foundation. And when you want to lay the foundation in grade nine, grade 10, and going forward, forward, it is quite difficult for us because of the pandemic and the contact that was not there. Mm. Lucky, talk to me about your personal observations and also what what your experience has, has been as, as an educator. Yes, uh, once again, thank you so much, uh, Katie, for the, this important national conversation. And uh, of course, I mean, I agree with uh, the survey that uh, discipline has gone, down, has gone down because it's an open secret that uh, the behavior of learners uh, have changed. And that is because the schools are a microcosm of the society. Whatever is happening in the society is reflected in school. Coming back to the issue, uh, 
you know, uh, the issue of instilling uh, discipline at school is not uh, directed to an individual educator per se, but it's a teamwork one, two. Uh, all educators of the school must put their hand on the, on the deck, and it's not uh, an event, but it's a process that takes time, including but not restricted to uh, putting all stakeholders together. So, Lucky, when when you then have to look at the more prevalent instances or cases of, of ill discipline um, in, in your classroom or in your school, what are some of the, the more common ones? Mm, the more common ones, I mean, it's uh, the learners uh, chatting, uh, the learners coming late, not one to be told, but... Uh, in, in our school, we've got uh, a very uh, strong SMT, strong SGP, uh, which uh, we are working together in order to ensure that we instill discipline. One, for example, Katie, uh, there is a roster that uh, uh, all uh, 69 educators of the school, uh, they are mm-hmm. put in days that on this day we are going to mend the gate. We set the learners as they get into school, into the school, because... Uh, some of the things which are not expected to be at school, including your cell phone, drugs, uh, uh, knives, uh, and the dangerous uh, uh, things that might find their way into the school, that is done in order to ensure that the, those things are stopped right at the gate. They are neat in the part. Obviously, there has to be a record uh, keeping that should we get anything, we keep it. And we also involve parents because learners, my colleagues will agree with me that if learners are aware that the school or educators is in touch with my parents, it's not easy for them to be wayward because they know that uh, my teacher or the principal is going to uh, get in touch with my parents and tell him or her uh, how do I behave at school. And that's a thing which learners do not want. And as a result of that, we are trying to uh, to ensure that uh, discipline is instilled in the school. The, the learners who are found with drugs and, and knives on them, what do they, what do they say in, in, in conversations when they're asked about, um, you know, carrying these substances or these weapons and, and what it is that, that they're going to do with them? I mean, if the learner's carrying a knife uh, to school, what reason do they give for that? Yeah, our school has a, a disciplinary committee. And if ever a, a, an unwanted or illegal substance is found with the learners, it is locked, uh, recorded, the parent is called. I'm not a, a member of the disciplinary uh, committee, but uh, I mean, when they interrogate them, some of them, they will tell you that uh, they are being threatened and they bring that in order to protect themselves. And another case, I mean, uh, there was a case whereby a, a, a learner was found with a cell phone and he was using the cell phone to call friends to stand at the gate to wait for another learner. So the importance of not having cell phones in the school, it helps in that 
in that learners are unable to bring external people into the school. It's a myriad of reasons that they say they bring those things. This is just one of them. Mm. Let me go to the Eastern Cape and bring in Tandegile into this conversation. Tandegile, do you want to share just your your own experience as, as an educator? What do you have found to be some of the common challenges around discipline in, in your classrooms? Yes, just I'll, I'll agree with my colleagues. Um, classrooms and schools in general these days are very difficult environments to work with because, uh, as Lucky said, I mean, the learners we, we, we teach reflect the larger society, the broader society they come from. If you look at incidents like in the a recent incident, like the one that is in the news right now, in Soweto, Orlando, and the most recent one from East London, and those are school-going kids. And if you, if we take, for instance, the East London case, those, those, that was just immediately after schools. You, you imagine how, if the, the next Monday there was going to be, there was not school holidays, and those learners were to be at school what kind of learners would the teachers be dealing with. So the issue of drugs that are in our communities, the issue of taverns, the issue of shipping in almost every second street do filter through the, the school system because we are dealing with learners who are exposed to all these kinds of social ills and the teachers bear the brand of dealing with these things and mm. having to navigate their way through, like the, the first uh, <clears throat> guest offense said, you have new entrant teachers who are sometimes young, even female, that have to manage ill-disciplined learners in a class that is overcrowded with a very thin age gap between the teacher who was never properly orientated in how to deal with these uh, forms of discipline. All right. Tandegile, I'm going to give you a chance to continue in a moment. It's 11.30. I want to go to the news desk. Dineo has your latest news headlines. So we're looking at issues of discipline that teachers face in the schooling environment, within the class environment, and also just what are some of the tools um, that they believe they are equipped with? What is it that parents, guardians can be doing to make their work a little easier when it comes to having to manage then their children when they are at school? Uh, Tembegile Mlalandle is a teacher in the East in Cape and and Tandegile, you you were still giving us you know your perspective uh, in terms of what what you have found and you've raised the issue of alcohol and substance abuse and how that spills over into what you then experience as an educator. Yes, is it? If teachers are confronted with these learners that we're dealing with, that. Um, exposed to, 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 to even cigarettes, smoking, because that's what you, the, the, you ask lucky, what kinds of experiences you find in class of ill-discipline. During break time or even in class, you'll find learners 
with cigarettes, with drugs such as marijuana, even alcohol in class, especially in the mid-grades when they move from primary school. Uh, the teachers that, if you ask any teacher, I spent some time, about five years, being a shop steward. Most teachers came with cases of ill-disciplined learners that misbehaved and confronted them, even threatening physical violence. And most of those learners are in grade eight and nine, as offenses say. The young ones in the ages of 14, 15, you don't expect such behavior from from that. And the unfortunate thing is that there seems to be a lack of community involvement in in, in the form of quality teaching and learning campaigns that were launched some years ago. And there's also no tools given to the teachers in dealing with this kind of things, such as the document that is more than 25 years old called Alternatives to Corporal Punishment, which is not even, not easy to implement, because some of those things are not so in touch with reality in the classrooms, in the overcrowded classrooms. Mm. You get suggestions such as you have to detain a learner. So if you detain a learner, we're dealing with overcrowded schools with learners. I, I had, t- I mean, lucky saying they are over six, 60 teachers in the school. That tells you that in that school there will be, he will concur with me, there will be learners of more than 1,200 mm-hmm. with that kind of, 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 of stuff, a compliment. So it tells you that each class you will find no less than 60 learners. I mean, no class with less than 60 learners. Now, how do you manage a crowd of between 60 and 80, even 100 sometimes, of learners who come from broken families because the reality is most of these children are either coming from child-headed homes or parents are in other cities, in our case, looking for employment opportunities and stuff. Even if you, the child misbehaves and you want parental involvement, you invite a parent, the SMT or the SGP invited parent, a former learner or a, a, a youth, somebody of 18, 25, 20 years old will come as a guardian, who is not a legal guardian, mm. but if you go to the file of that child, this person is not the legal guardian of the child. So, so, that, so what do you find? Do you thing. find that it's often the, the sisters, their cousins that are being sent there? Yes, and th- th- those are other learners who are supposed to be in schools or in, in tertiary institutions themselves. So it's just, or either a gogo or a grandparent. My most recent experience is in the last two months at our school, with the learners who misbehave, we find that this child is orphaned and is raised, is raised by a, a grandparent, when you invite that the parent to come, the child is not even living with this grandparent, is renting a room somewhere near the school. Because in our case, for instance, in high schools, most high schools are few and far in between. Most learners tend to lodge in other homes that are not headed by any 
adults. Mm. So, so, so these kids are linked to their own devices. These, you know, these kids are basically supervising and, and raising themselves. Exactly. Most, if in the Eastern Cape, you can, you can do that. I challenge anyone. Most high schools in the rural areas, the, the high school, especially the grade 12, who are 16, 17, 18 year olds, live alone in rented houses with no parental figure because somebody will just rent out a, a, a house or a room that is unoccupied or the home that is unoccupied where the, the main owners of the house are somewhere in Joburg or Cape Town looking for work and that house will be used as an income generating and those kids are left to fend for themselves. So even if you call a parent, nobody will come because they live on their own in groups of four or six. So you don't expect those kind of learners to respect the teacher because they don't know any parental figure. As as a friend said, we come as professionals, as adults, we expect, we are, we are supposed to, I mean, to, to, to conduct ourselves in a professional manner as we are trained to do so and bound by our faith contract. But the learners, on the other hand, as you said, they are on their own. They just yeah. don't give it them. Even if those, um, the few that come from homes, the environment is what you see in the community. There's a tavern and a shipping every corner. There's a drug dealer somewhere. Even at schools during break times, you get drug dealers and, and, and coming to sell drugs over the fences of the schools. After break time, the, you, if you ask teachers, there's things like Dakama things that are sold in schools. The behavior after break time changes from learners. Even now, as we are coming, coming, we are going to come back from the winter break. This, uh, this, this, this initiation season, the learners will come differently, disrespecting female teachers and young male teachers because they feel they've gone through the rite of passage. They, their dress code will change. Their behavior will change. And unfortunately, some of those things are encouraged by our communities because a learner, if, if you go through the rite of passage, when you go back to school, you are supposed to adhere to the code of conduct for learners and behave like every other learner. All right. There's no man in school. Mm. Tandikile, thanks for that because I think you, you've painted a, a very vivid picture of just some of the, the broader issues that are outside of the school's control that contribute then to um, this ill discipline that, that some educators will find themselves faced with. So, so Ufense, when it comes to you then, what do you do in, in a situation where you are faced with this unruly learner who is back-chatting, who refuses to, to listen to what you have to say? Kathy, we'd agree that um, the three situations from the three teachers, including myself, are very different. I think the environment is different as well. And I speak from a place whereby our school is situated in a very urban area. And therefore, the issues are not as in-depth as Tandagila School, where it's situated in a more informal area. 
and therefore the problems would defy in this instance. And in my situation, the most severe um, instance whereby a learner is showing ill-discipline maybe very violently, in my case, then following protocol is very important. We understand that as teachers, we have to play a role of instilling um, classroom management, getting to relate to the scholar and imparting knowledge. But I think mine is that I need to first understand the scholar because I'm a life orientation teacher. I have to build a relationship even just away from the subject itself. It's very important that teachers build a relationship. But then what happens if then I have asked the scholar to step out of class and had a one-on-one conversation to say, let me move away from embarrassing you, which is something that the corporal, the Anti-Corporal Punishment Act says that embarrassing a scholar or humiliating a scholar is a form of corporal punishment itself. And so let me talk to the learner one-on-one outside and let's converse and let's understand why is it that every time I say this, there's a backlash or why is it that you always want to get attention from the class and that, or whatever the situation may be. And if I then am unable to speak to a scholar one-on-one away from teacher-scholar engagement, but as one human to the next, then protocol is needed. Because my first resort is that, let me understand where this behavior is coming from, because we need to know that sometimes scholars aren't given attention. Scholars are begging for our attention because they see us as parents within the school. Like Tandagila says, they might not even experience having a a parent in the home, whereby the, the child then the child's ill discipline is a reflection of the attention that they haven't been receiving within the home. But once then that cannot necessarily be curbed, you then will take measures in ensuring that there's a reflection session. You know, for other schools, there's detention, you know, and for us, the reflection session is important for the child to look well within themselves and say, how is it that I've landed myself in this position where I've then gone to the principal's office and Ms. Mulepe has taken me to the principal's office and then more measures have to be taken taken to um, mm-hmm. action. What, oh, so, so, sorry, Offensive, what happens in a reflection session and, and how different is that to detention? So, Kathy, it's exactly... Um, the, so, I, I like to say that detention is very punitive. It's very um, consequential. It's let us show you what your actions have done and these are the consequences. Reflection session, well, is quite different. Reflection session is very quiet. You get a form to fill in to say with questions that ask, how have you landed yourself here? Who has your behavior affected? What can you do next time to ensure that it does not necessarily affect you, the people around you, and your education? Where do you need help from, et cetera? So from these answers, because I think it's a really great way to analyze where the help um, that the scholar needs or whether the, the scholar needs help in general. So from that form, we're able to say that this is where we've gone wrong as a school and not creating platforms for scholars to engage with us as educators on a very personal level. You know, are we very um, authoritative within the class or are we democratic? But Kathy, it is very important to note that not with all um, transgressions, it doesn't work with all transgressions, Sometimes you might find that the child is very is high, comes to the classroom high on a substance. You can't necessarily give them a reflection form and send them to a reflection session. You know, that's where the tests come in. And these are compulsory um, substance tests 
that should be um, conducted within the school to to ensure that the the scholar, which you said has portrayed behavior that shows that they are high on a substance, is proven, you know, and then furthermore, ensure that there's a collaboration between yourself as an educator, the principal or whoever's part of the behavioral committee and the parent. Kathy, I think our discipline systems don't collaborate parents as well, where you find when, when a child goes for a hearing, the parent is very defensive. I think our, play, our part to play is that we need to be able to extend communication to parents to say, no matter how small the, the incident is, um, for example, you say to the parent, you email the parent and say, Kathy, today, that chatted to me and I'm not sure what the situation is. Can you please talk to them? I know it sounds very petty, but this builds up a record whereby when it gets to a hearing, the parent is unable to say, I was, I don't know of this behavior and this is a shock to me. The school is just, um, it's, it's just constantly going at my child. But the evidence is there. I've continuously been in communication with you and it gives them a form of ownership to say, We've played our part. What right. part are you playing as a parent within your um, rightful role? Oh, all right. Th- thanks for that, Offense. Lucky, I'm listening to part of what Offense is saying, and a part of me is asking if different ways of discipline work in, in certain environments and if if they don't work in, in other environments. And, and the point that, that was made was uh, just the, 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 the differences in, in challenges that different schools are facing. And these are whether it's a school in an urban area, a school in a township or a school uh, in a rural area. Yes, Kate, it varies from place to place. I mean, we're in a rural uh, school uh, in Duetwe. Uh, I mean, in after a child has been enrolled in our school, for example, we take the details of the uh, parents, we feed them in uh, what is called SASMs. I think my colleagues know it. We have all that information. We give them the code of conduct of the school for them to familiarize themselves. Everything that we do there is an agreement between parents, uh, learners, and educators. And it is very important to involve uh, stakeholders. I mean, in a rural area, there is Izinduna, Amakosi, and what councillors. That helps a great deal. And not every offence uh, offense and KD that uh, is going to be given the same uh, punishment. I mean, uh, punishment, it varies uh, on the magnitude, on the severity, and on the gravity of the case. I mean, uh, and one thing that we need to understand is that there is an asset test, as we have said before, that the, the behavior is changing. And as educators, we can't just uh, bury our hands in the sand and throw our hands in the air and say, these learners are troublesome. We also have to find uh, creative and innovative ways of punishing these learners. For example, you, 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 we can't be punitive saying that if a learner is disruptive in a class, you throw that learner out. That learner is losing out in uh, in, in, in academic. That learner must brought in as a teacher, call the learner, try to find out what causes the learner to do, to do or behave in that way. And you will be able to get a lot of information that will enable you to understand as to why is the learner doing this. And the other thing... If a learner is found to have done something bad, that learner 
we are not always punitive, but corrective. You can tell that learner that after school, you stay behind, and the punishment that I'll give you as a mathematics teacher myself, you must do these sums or you must do this homework under my supervision. Our SMC at school is busy at about half past three, four o'clock for that purposes. Uh, at the center of this case, it's good quality, quantitative and qualitative leadership of the school. Let me go to Mpumalanga. Boni, good morning to you. Um, the speaker is who says is in the Indian Cape. I, I want to tell him, I mean, Pumalanga, we are in a, a peri-urban area. Mm. Exactly what he said, he articulated, is precisely what is happening in a school, rural or not. But I, I find the problem to be with the, the support by the, by the department. Um, we are aware how our communities are. Parents, absent parents, people traveling from here to nearby cities for work and all of that, some staying there. When you have a problem with a child, you call a parent. And there will be an uncle or whoever coming in. And when, as, as you deal with the matter, you realize that the child is in charge, not the parent. And that is a big problem. You're not winning already. Let me put my, my situation. I had a child who continuously became absent. Actually, the child was brought to me. But I also taught the child a subject. Then I decided that, no, I need the parent. And then the mother was not helpful. I decided to get the father. And the father didn't turn up. He, the child refused to give me the numbers, gave me the wrong numbers I called. Then the number wasn't coming through. Gave, told me he doesn't know his father lost the phone and whatever. Then at a, in, in about two weeks' time, still continuing with the problem, the father pitched up with an uncle having a firearm. I went to the principal's office and they were looking for me. The mm. principal called me in and he walked away of the office. As I got in there, I realized that these people were so furious. Mm. Then I don't and, blame and, him and, for and, leaving and me Bonnie, alone. Bonnie, were they brandishing the firearm? So did, did they make it clear mm. that you could see that they were carrying a firearm? Exactly. <laughs> so then I said there. I had no choice. I had to sit down and the parent, the, the father and the uncle... Sure said to me, our child tells us that you've insulted him, you've done one, two, three to the child. I said, look, uh, that's incorrect, this is my... But then they said, our child cannot lie. What do you say if a parent says my child cannot lie? I'm going to ask you to hold it there. We've got a break coming up, but I really want to give you a chance to finish up your story. Bonnie out in Mpumalanga, he's also a teacher, giving us just some of his experiences of trying to tackle ill-discipline. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation looking at ill-discipline in schools. Bonin Mpumalanga uh, telling us a bit about your experience. So basically, Bonnie, these two gentlemen, the father and the uncle, then confront you about having lied about their child and that uh, they, they don't believe what you are saying. Correct. Then, well, I just maintained my cool in that situation, and then they uh, explained to them what the child said. It was his word against my word. Then they gave me a very strict warning. I thought the matter is is done. A few weeks later, the child isn't coming to school anymore. Out of worry, I wanted to go to the parents and say, look, if you think that maybe I've, I've wronged the child and whatever, the child's still young. Let him come to school and continue his education. But unfortunately, or fortunately, 
I don't know which one of those. There's some, some people came in when I was uh, I wanted to drive to go to her home and then speak to them because we often drive to them. You don't you don't get them. You must go to them. Then somebody said, don't even try and go there because that man. Then they got gave me the story behind the, the man that you you're going to be in trouble and this is what's going to happen. That man used to do this and whatever. I then left out, but it was out of pain and worry. And then after a few days, then I I I I I. I they 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 wanted to attack me in the street, and my car was my my car was shot at, and it was them because I could identify the car. I didn't even go to the police. I'm living in fear right now. I have a problem continuing to discipline other kids because the situation is almost the same. You pick a problem there, you call a parent. The parent tells you, "I don't have the time to come to school," and all of those things, and you cannot be harsh on them. But I'm living and, and, in fear right and, now. And Bonnie, the school has done absolutely nothing. Nothing. I mean, you know, these these are, are, are problems that that are far-reaching. They aren't in the society. Um, if a father is to do that, I mean, this is it's a far-reaching problem that is in the society. We we have engaged uh, social um, services with problems with learners, uh, you know, and the biggest thing is. That you will have an appointment with those guys. Here is a child that realized this child actually can actually be helped, needs psychological counseling. A psychologist, psychologists are at the region. They are not enough. They'll be coming, go to the social workers. The matter takes three months and is unfinished, and you keep on driving to those offices. This is all at our cost because of the pain that we are bearing. Mm. So, it, I mean, it's not best going to the police because... Uh, the best thing is to support the child. We're trying our best, but at the end of the day, you get a, 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 so, a social problem in the family, in the community, and you try to deal with it with social workers, then you don't get reports. Sometimes they try to excise you and tell you, look, you mustn't be part of this matter. This is a family matter. We will deal with it. But the child has got only a few months to complete the grade. You need results now, and you want the child to pass. Oh, Bonnie, thank you for calling in and and for giving us, you know, the the account of what happened. Very disappointed in your school. One would think that they would show a lot more initiative in as far as also trying to ensure that you are well protected and taking the issue up with those individual parents. Tandegile, let me come back to you and ask, you know, in, in an environment like that, where there's little support from the school, where you know parents are either missing in action or not wanting to take accountability for what is their children's behavior what then becomes the solution okay uh thanks again Cassie. um you, you know like i mentioned that um i happened my experiences my lived experiences are also informed by my tenure as, as a shop steward, that is leading other teachers and assisting in these kinds of, of, of situations. Now, as a union, I come from Naptosa, we advocate for, for in, uh, in every public platform or in every public meeting or general meetings, we expose the teachers to the SAFE code of ethics. We also advocate for I mean, do workshops on the alternatives to corporal punishment. It is usually done by our provincial team. So we 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 we, we empower teachers 
on how to deal with these things without necessarily, I mean, administering or going to the extent of corporal punishment. Also, we we empower principals in in the form of principal seminars where they are given all these tools and exposed so that they go back to the schools and orientate the teachers on these documents because some of these guidelines are there. Like you get the Safe Handbook on, on Rights and Responsibilities for Educators with scenarios like the ones that were mentioned by our other guests and colleagues. But the unfortunate thing is that this information does not reach to the facilitated teacher in class in a school somewhere in a township or in a rural village somewhere in South Africa. So what I would suggest is that, like we do, we expose teachers to these alternatives to corporal punishment. We, we also have other capacity building workshops such as how to deal with learners who do not care. There's a program that is teachers can earn CPTD points that is very useful in how to deal with this. As the colleague said, if you engage these learners with all these things that we are mentioning, it's not like we're throwing our hands in the air in this, but we, we, when you have the skills to, to do how to engage, sit down with the learner, get, I mean, make all the necessary efforts of getting the parental involvement or even the larger community, like the police, social services, and like SDSASA and social development, because those structures help. But right. if the, the, the quality teaching and learning campaigns could be resuscitated, and even organizations such as Section 27 that advocate for harsher punishments of teachers who are frustrated, if they could get down to the communities and do advocacy in the communities where all these problems emanate from and visit the schools and empower the teachers on how to deal with these things. It would be a very different situation and outlook then than that we're facing. Tandekile Mlalandle is a teacher in the Eastern Cape. Let me also thank Laki Nkalanga and Ufenze Mulefe, all of them teachers out in KZN and Gauteng respectively. I mean, it sounds to me that one of the other conversations we need to be having is taking a realistic look at, at where we are as, as a society and, you know, our family structures and really the pressure being put on young people to raise themselves. That's one of the big things that's come out of this conversation, that young people are raising themselves. And what then are the consequences of that? That's where we'll leave it for this Monday edition of The Talking Point. Back with you again tomorrow morning. For now, it's over to Sakina Kamwendo with the update at noon.